following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We are going to begin today with um, everyone's favorite game, Does That Farm Animal Swim? I know you've been waiting for this for a while, so we are going to play this game. You guys excited? You guys ready? All right. I know you've been waiting for it, so here we go. Does that farm animal swim? I am going to list a farm animal, and I need 100% participation in this, okay? And then I'm going to ask you, for those of you who think you can swim, to raise their hands, those of you who think you can't swim, and um, that, we're going to play um, everyone's favorite game here, okay? So let's start. First farm animal is the horse. Okay, if you think a horse can swim, indeed it can swim, raise your hand, please. Okay, all right, it's a good majority. Those of you who say, despite the peer pressure of nearly the entire room, I will boldly say, no, a horse cannot swim, raise your hand. Good for you, okay? (laughs) Channeling your inner farm knowledge. Unfortunately, you were wrong. (laughs) Horses can in fact swim. Those of you who said yes, give yourselves a hand. Okay, one point for you. All right, we're going to go to the next round here. Dig deep, okay? Your inner agricultural husbandry knowledge, okay, of farm animals. Okay, let's talk about the cow, okay? If you think there's no way cows do not swim, don't like the water, they'd sink, no swimming for cows, let's see. Raise your hand. All right, it's a good, good amount. You say, nope, I'm still on, they can swim. Uh, You say, cows can swim. All right, we're close to 50-50 on that. Um, But again, cows can indeed swim. Good for you. Those of you who said it could, give yourselves a hand. Some of you started clapping before I said that. Narcissistic, but anyway, okay. um, You said, okay, so two for two on the farm animals, but let's take it up a notch, the pig. All right, if you say, no, there's no way a pig can swim, that's ridiculous. Let's not get out of hand, all right? Raise your hand. No, pigs cannot swim. Let's see you. Okay, many of you. All right. If you say, no, I'm still thinking they can swim. I was two for two. You say, pigs can swim. Raise your hand. Okay, that's a, that's a good amount of you. Okay, to answer this final round, this is a special edition here, okay? To answer this final round, I would like you to direct your attention to the screens. I'll show you a video to show you the final answer. Check this out. Can pigs swim? There you have it. There it is. Pigs on vacation in the Bahamas. They're swimming. No, actually, that is, there is an island in the Bahamas where pigs, some of you maybe are aware of this, maybe even seen this, um, but there are, there's an island in the Bahamas that pigs at some point got stranded there, maybe a shipwreck or, or whatever, and they are there on the beach. They live on the beach, and it's a tourist destination where boats come up, and, and they swim out to the boats, and because tourists give them food, and you can go feed the pigs, you can swim with the pigs, because who hasn't want to do that in your life, Okay. You can actually swim with the pigs. It's a huge tourist destination. If you're ever thinking about going to the Bahamas, it's a vacation idea for this summer if you want to go. Um, pigs can, in fact, swim. Now, 
Why are we playing Does That Farm Animal Swim today? Other than it's everyone's favorite game, okay? Aside from that is because we cannot go into this part of the Bible without you knowing this piece of information. This is critical to understanding this text. Pigs can swim. You've got to keep that in mind before we read this story. We're looking in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And what we're doing through this series is we're looking through these powerful encounters that Jesus has. Sometimes it's Jesus talking to a particular individual. Sometimes it's something Jesus taught. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these incredible encounters of Jesus. There's going to be an encounter we're going to look at in a couple weeks where it's a moment where someone astonishes Jesus. Which, there's a few times that happens. Usually it's Jesus astonishing people, but there's a time when Jesus' jaw just drops and says, wow. There's this one passage in a few weeks we're going to look at where it's a teaching of Jesus, and it's one of the most notoriously challenging and provocative teachings of Jesus. But if you understand what he's saying, it is one of the most powerful things he taught. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to, as we go through this, we're looking at encounters of Jesus, but today we're looking at one that is particularly intense. I want you to look, Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. They came to the other side of the sea. That's Jesus, his disciples, crossing the Sea of Galilee. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... There met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. Now pause with me for a second. Let's get the context. Jesus and his disciples arrive on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And take note of this. Jesus takes one step out of the boat. And immediately this man approaches him. Makes a beeline for Jesus. Now it says that he has an unclean spirit. Specifically what it's talking about is this man, according to the Bible, is literally demon-possessed. And you might be saying, I'm not sure where you're at on, on what you believe in the spirit realm, but here's what the Bible consistently teaches. It says, the, there is a spirit realm. It is, there is angels that carry the power of God. There are demons that have powers of evil. That is real, according to the Bible. And this man, this story, which is being presented as an actual story that happens as a man who is possessed by a demon. Now, uh, possessed by demons. Now, look the description. You have to take note of this. It shows you what it's doing to this man. He's living among the tombs, so he's living among the dead. He's cutting himself with stones. He's maiming and hurting himself. He's crying out all day and night. And is, he's terrorizing the surrounding community. They're trying to subdue him. Nobody can. They're trying to put him in chains. He's wrenching apart the chains somehow. No one can stop him. No one can help him. 
But I want you to notice one other thing before we keep going. The moment Jesus takes one step out of the water, it says immediately this man comes towards him. And there's about to be an encounter. Because here's what the Bible says. The spiritual forces of evil and the spiritual forces of good are not in harmony with each other. It's not like Star Wars and the Force, okay? There's the good side and the bad side, and it kind of, it's what keeps balance. That is not what the Bible says. There is a war. Good and evil battling each other. It has, whether we see it, whether we believe it, the Bible is saying there is a war that we don't see, the consequences of which bring hurt and pain and destruction on earth. And it's, the, and it's so potent, this war, that it's like the moment Jesus sets a foot on that region, it's like the spiritual barometers go nuts. The gauges are like spinning around, and this guy's like, sets his sights on Jesus, and he goes right to Jesus. Because there's going to be a clash. Here's what happens. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. This man runs, falls down before Jesus. Jesus asks him his name, and we get the full picture spiritually of what's happening. He says his name is Legion, because it's not just one demon, it's not a few demons that are possessing him, it is an army. A legion by Roman legion standards is something around 5,500 soldiers. There is a demonic army oppressing this man. But you have to see what happened. It, that man with that army of demons falls down before Jesus. Why? Because they know who he is. They call him exactly who he is. Jesus, son of the most high God. They know this is not a rabbi, not just a teacher, not a prophet. It is the son of God himself. God in the flesh. An army of demons falls down and starts begging. Christian, do you see what this is saying? Jesus versus an army of demons is not a fair fight for the demons. These, these are not equals facing off. It's Jesus versus an army of demons, and he is going to make very short work in this encounter. Look what happens. Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits 
came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into this, in the sea. Okay, now, look at this for a second. They're begging Jesus that they don't have to leave. They asked to go on this herd. Jesus gives them permission. Why? Because Jesus has authority over everything in the universe, so they have to ask his permission. They ask to go on the pigs. He lets them go on the pigs. The pigs rush down the hillside, go into the Sea of Galilee, and they drowned. Now, I want you to take all of your extensive knowledge of farm animals... Are they drowning because they can't swim? Can pigs swim? Okay, that helps you interpret something in this passage. Why did the pigs drown? The demons drowned them. Do you see what this is communicating to us about these demons? This is showing us something about evil. Evil wants to destroy life. A huge herd of pigs. It doesn't matter if it's a human life. I mean, he is torturing this poor man. The man's maiming himself and cutting himself and screaming and crying out. He cannot be stopped. No human can help him. No human can save him. A whole city can do nothing with him. They're trying to drag him down into death so much so that he lives among the tombs like a walking corpse. They're trying to destroy him. And then if they can't destroy him, they want to take something out with them so they want to take out the pigs. They want to destroy a whole herd of life that God made. But it's not just these animals' lives that they destroyed. What else is it happening? That is going to have a massive impact on the economy of that region. They just attempted to decimate an entire part of their livelihood. Evil is intentionally, actively, aggressively trying to destroy. It is real. But what else did we just learn? It's no match for Jesus. Let's finish up the story. I want you to see what happens. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to ask Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Herdsmen whose herd of 2,000 pigs just drowned, they start going to tell everyone what had happened. The people from the surrounding cities come. They're starting to see. And when they come, the first thing they see is this man that had been possessed by a demon, that had been terrorizing them, that no one could help, no one could stop. 
they see the man clearly 100% healed and restored. And they're in awe. Who could do what all of us together as cities couldn't? Who's this guy, Jesus? And I want you to notice the wording here because it's very strategic. He says, they said, what happened? And it says this. It says, they told him what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And that point, they began to ask him to leave. Why? Well, Jesus, you got here and yeah, you healed that guy, but we lost an entire, I mean, this herd, I mean, that, that's our livelihood, that's our, our, our conglomerate of businesses probably together. I mean, that's what we we're going to pass down to our children. I mean, we just lost all that. They want Jesus to leave. I mean, it's too costly having Jesus around. But who did they just ask to leave? This is the one that saves a wedding because he can simply make water turn into wine. He feeds 5,000 people by, by taking a small lunch and just out of thin air, expanding it miraculously to feed 5,000 people. This is, the, this is God in the flesh through whom everything was made. He invented pigs. He can easily solve the pig problem in these cities. Who did they just ask to leave? They just asked to leave the one. Jesus is going to get on, his, on the boat, and he said, okay. He gets on the boat, and he goes to other cities. This is the one that's going to show up to a city, and there's going to be a man falling at his feet saying, my daughter is, is, is dying. Please come quick. And on his way, the girl dies, and Jesus rises her back to, from the dead anyway. This is the one that a woman's just suffering medical, medically for 12 years and she's going to reach out through the crowd and just touch just the hem of his garment and she's going to be healed. Something it says no physician could do. There's going to be a man who is born blind and Jesus is going to heal him and people are going to say, what happened? Who's this guy? And they're going to keep badgering him and badgering him until the moment he says, I don't know who he is. I just know that I was blind and now I see. Who are they sending away? They're sending away the one that could walk into their cities. The one that parents could have their children healed. Spouses who are dealing with the chronic ailments of, of their husband or wife could have them healed at the hands of this Jesus. The one that, could, that can bring more than that spiritual light into this city and save them from the darkness by declaring the truth that he had come to declare. They ask him to leave because it was too costly. What did they miss out on? Well, if you notice what happens is there's one who's willing to pay the cost. There's a man who was healed of these demons and he comes up to Jesus and says, I know you're departing. Can I please just come with you? And Jesus says, no, you can't. I know that it would be more comfortable. I know that you'd prefer. I know that it's going to be hard to go back to those cities. But you need to go. You need to go around and you need to proclaim all of this to these cities. Did you know it's actually what Jesus said? He said, go back to your friends. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? Friends. I just terrorized these people. 
He says, you need to go and tell them what I've done in your life. And it says he goes around to the Decapolis. That's not a city. That's 10 cities. That's a region of 10 cities that he goes as a lone missionary and simply says, this is what Jesus has done. He was willing to pay that cost. Now, what's the difference between the city and this man? This man knows firsthand how the power of God can heal and restore. And he's willing to pay the cost to let the entire region know. There's three things out of this text that we see. Number one is this. Evil is real and it is seeking to destroy, to maim, to hurt, to prey on the innocent, to prey on those who are the most vulnerable. It is not sitting aside passively. It is active and given any chance, it will break down and cause as much suffering as it possibly can. That is alive and well. That is the battle that's happening, whether we want to believe it or not. But there's something else that we learn from this text. All of the power of that evil is no match for the power of Jesus. Jesus, in a split second, can turn the tide of the war. It's barely a war when the power of Jesus is involved. He turns the tide. So those two truths are true in this passage, in the time of Jesus. They're true all throughout history, and they're true today. There are forces of evil, but those that Jesus has sent out saying, you're going in my name, you're going in with my power, you are called to turn the tide back against evil and turn it back to seeing justice and righteousness reign in the places that I put you. That is the calling of those who dare to bear the name of Jesus, a Christian. But there's a third part of this that we learn. Is that when Jesus sends someone, he calls them to share in the cost. So we have to ask ourselves, Are we willing to share in the cost? Now, why does Jesus work like that? Why does it always his followers share in his cost? He he told us why. That is our joy in following after him. He says, here's who I am. If you want to follow me, here's what I'm doing. I'm here to sacrifice and give everything for a world I love. That's where I'm going. So if you're following me, that's the path you're getting on. You're joining in the sacrifice for a world that you love. You say, okay, can that really happen? Like, does that actually happen where, where Christians, because, because when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, because when they start following Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus is flooding through them, can they really turn the tide on a culture, on a city, on a nation? Can that actually happen? I want to just give you one historic example of this. There's a, there's a season in the late 18th century that has become known as the Great Awakening. And in this season, there is this mighty movement of the gospel through the uh, American colonies and in England. It spread beyond that, but it was most potent on the American colonies and in England. And it's just this movement through the local church where Christians were just set on fire by the gospel and it spread through the culture. 
And there's a historian from about 100 years ago who decided to research what was happening in the culture before and after this great revival, this movement of the gospel. And he says it's unbelievable the impact before and after. And he specifically was studying what happened in England. And here's how he described the state of England before the, this revival swept through of the gospel. He, said it, he described it as being, having deep savagery. He said things like this. It was common, there was common torture of animals for sport. Widespread drunkenness of the populace. Industry driven on human trafficking and slave trade. Universal gambling obsession, high mortality rate of working children. Political bribery and corruption. Immortality, prostitution, lawlessness, superstition, lewdness. And then the Great Awakening struck on both sides of the Atlantic. And he said it was so powerful what happened. Here's how he described it. The Great Awakening did more to transfigure the moral character of the general populace than any other movement British history can record. He puts it like this. The evangelical revival was the true nursing mother of the spirit and character values that have created and sustained free institutions throughout the English-speaking world. It was, in other words, he says, it was the moral watershed of Anglo-Saxon history. The movement of the gospel was so power, the power, powerful, the power of the name of Jesus flooded through the English-speaking world that we are still reaping the benefits of the groundwork it laid, the, the, the transformation that it did to this day. Can it happen? It has happened. So let's talk about our, let's talk about today. I don't have to convince you that there are forces of evil at work in our community, in our city, do I? I mean, some of the things even on that list described as deep savagery, we can say they're alive and well in our culture now. So here's what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. This community are surrounding and attacking the people that we know and love here in the cities of South Florida. That evil is alive and well. What is the greatest problem underneath the surface? Underneath the surface, there are forces of evil that are trying to destroy. They are creating systems of injustice that need to be addressed. It's, it's creating uh, this, this, this darkness that's overcoming. I mean, you've seen it. I don't have to describe to you these, these systems because they've touched your own lives. They're marriages that you know that are breaking apart. It's children and students that you know that the onslaught of the culture of this agenda, the agenda of this culture, are onslaught on our kids, and you know that it's bringing them down. You know about the deep-rooted issues in the city that we love that are, that are attacking too close to home. You know that evil is alive and well in our city today. But Christian, do you know what the hope is against that? There's only one hope, Christian. Is that the same thing that's true in this passage is the same hope that we have. It's that if the power of Jesus would surge through our city, he can easily push back the forces of evil. 
The question is, do we actually believe? Do we have the audacity to stop and believe that it will happen today in our culture? Because Christian, if you dare to bear his name, there is no room for fatalism, there's no room for hopelessness, no room for helplessness, and certainly no room for apathy because we bear the name of the one who is the most powerful being in the history of universe. And he said, I have placed you here in South Florida. Why do you think I did that, Christian? Because I'm sending you out. I'm pumping you, Christian, who've had your life turned around by Jesus, flooded with my power. I've sent you out to be a teacher in a school, to be a government official, to be a a firefighter and a police officer, to be a captain of industry, a business owner. I've sent you out in neighborhoods and friend groups and and in schools, and, and I've sent you out among your own family. I've sent you out to turn the tide around. And so the question is, Do we believe that? And if we believe that, then this passage forces us to ask a question. Are we willing to share in the cost? What God has called West Pines to is what boils in our blood, what beats through our hearts, the, the fire that is unquenchable in our bellies is that we believe there is one way to follow Jesus and that is all or nothing taking up your cross and renouncing all that you have and say it is at your disposal. Use me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We use the original Greek word mathetes. And so here's what that means. That means we say we find ourselves with a church with that heartbeat. We want to transform this city. And then we find ourselves in South Florida, which is one of the most strategic places on the globe. You and I both know if South Florida, there's no place that influences Latin America and the Caribbean like South Florida. No place. So if you transform South Florida, you impact this region of the globe. He says, West Pines, I've given you that heart. And I've placed you strategically. So what is it going to take? It's going to take a church that says, we will share in the cost. We'll share in the cost, the same cost that, that Jesus took to save us. It is our privilege and joy to share in that cost that we might see South Florida transform. It's going to take a church like that. It's going to take churches that come together and say, we're going to put aside our cross-denominational differences. We're going to link arms and say, we are not going to quit until we together push back the forces of evil in the city that we love. That's what it's going to take. And church, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. I'm telling you, it is happening. There's a movement in our church, and there's a movement across churches in Broward County and in Dade County and West Palm Beach that are historic, coming together, linking arms, saying we will not stop until South Florida has changed for the gospel. And I believe Jesus is calling us to lead the way. So here's the question. Are we willing to share in the cost? He's given us this heart to transform South Florida, but there are some things that we've got to immediately address. There are some steps that we need to take. There are things that were dreams that need to become plans. 
Let me start by showing you this map. Go ahead and bring up the map. Here's, uh, you see, here's the city center of Fort Lauderdale in Miami. And those, that's dead center in the city center of those two cities. And what you have on the far left out there surrounded by pythons and alligators over there on the left, that is this facility that we're sitting in today. So here's what we did. We mapped that out, like driving distance between those two city centers, and what we found kind of surprised us. It is almost the exact distance from here to Fort, downtown Fort Lauderdale as it is from here to downtown Miami. And honestly, that broke our hearts. Because that means you cannot get any farther from the city centers than this facility is right here. Because if you go farther north, you're closer to one. Farther south, you're closer than the other. So he's given us this heart that will stop at nothing to transform South Florida. Well, we can't, that has got to change. That's got to be addressed. And so we did another map. And we said, okay, this is where our facility is, but the church is really the people. Where are the people that call West Pines their church home? And so we mapped out where everyone lives who has attended West Pines in the last three years. Just the last three years. If someone has attended here, we put where they live on a map. And here's where the West Pines people live. Do you see what God is doing ahead of us? He's saying, I didn't bring you out here to leave you out here. I brought you here to percolate a vision, and now it's time to advance. I've gone before you and preparing the way so that you can have a presence down in, in South Miami and down in Miami Lakes and in Hollywood and Cooper City and, and Sunrise and, and up, to, up there towards Pompano. I've started, I've placed there so that you can start having a reach, so that you can place down beachheads cranking out these full-throttle followers of Christ because if you have a full-throttle follower of Christ, you have a world changer. And so what he is calling us to do is in this season, starting today, we are launching an initiative we're calling Extravagant. And we're saying today marks a new season where we are going to begin taking the steps forward because we will stop at nothing to see South Florida transformed by the gospel in our generation. So I want to give you the first three steps that we're going to take starting today. Take out your booklet and I want you to go to the back cover. Here are the three steps we're starting today. First and foremost, we, God has placed us out here in West Pembroke Pines, and we believe he's called us to have a long-term presence out here. We're dug in here, impacting. We have a great relationship with these schools, impacting these students and families, but we need to get this place to be viable long-term for, for gospel ministry to crank out, um, to continue to crank out world changers and mathetes, but we need to adjust something in our facility. We had a bottleneck, and it was in the area of our kids' ministry. And if you know West Pines, you know some of the things we are most passionate about are our kids and our students. And so we had to change that. And so underway this week, as you know, we have begun um, breaking ground to expand our kids' ministry to double it in size, and that will be done in the next couple of months. Step number one is to expand our kids' ministry so that there is no limit to the number of kids and students that we can reach and families from this location. Step number two, as you saw on that map, if we are serious about leading the way and transforming South Florida and sparking a movement of the gospel, we cannot simply do that from this location. 
So what we believe is that we, we are faced with this issue. We believe that as we are reaching more and more people, we're going to see more people coming to Christ and more people becoming full throttle followers of Christ or mathetes. So our options are find a space because we're starting to fill this space up, find a space that's bigger, and then over the years make that one location bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And what we realize is that's going to lose something about who we are and our DNA. And so we realized a better strategy for us is something called multi-site, where you're dropping campuses in strategic pockets of people around South Florida. Why? So that we can duplicate leadership, so that we can continue growing big but staying small, so that we can continue to see these beachheads cranking out, um, cranking out world changers at these locations around South Florida. So step number two, this next step we're taking is in the next 18 months, we've already been working towards this, in the next 18 months, we're going to drop a second campus in a strategic place somewhere in South Florida. Which means that in not too long, we're going to be coming and saying, hey, West Pines, we need 50 to 100 families that live in this region that we are going to send you out and you are going to be the, the tip of the spear launching this new campus. And we believe that's just the beginning. Step number three, in the next three to five years, this, the search and the planning and preparing for this is already underway. Over the next three to five years, we will find a new hub location that will be a broadcasting site that will be a more strategic place for us to continue impacting South Florida. We don't exactly know where that's going to be or what that's going to look like, but we, say, but we can't help but begin preparing for that now. Why are we doing those three things? One simple reason. We will not stop until we see South Florida transformed by the gospel. You can clap. That's okay. Here's the question then we have to ask. Here's the question we have to ask. Are we willing to share in the cost? In a regular year at West Pines, we together, our, my family, your family, our generosity leverages in a regular year a little over $2 million to fund and to fuel the gospel mission that happens through our ministry. It's that generosity that fuels when someone comes to faith and their life is turned around, they get baptized. It's that generosity that drives so that we can proclaim the scripture among kids and students and together as families. It's that generosity that drives when our students go out and they, they do service projects all over the city and our community groups do service projects all over the city. It's that kind of generosity that fuels launching initiatives like, like expanding our kids' space. It's that kind of thing that does far beyond our walls. It's that kind of regular giving at this point that uh, on an almost annual basis sees another will, another well drilled in Africa. It's, some, it's what's sponsored an educational site where college students are going over to a small village in Cabo, Burkina Faso, to learn and to, and to explore possibilities for sustainable food sources. It's that kind of generosity that when we came before the church and said a ministry that we support in Haiti just had its ministry hub, an educational hub, decimated by Hurricane Matthew that we rose up together and saw it rebuilt. It's that kind of generosity that is currently sponsoring entire orphanages of children and sponsoring children all over the world and, and funding agencies here locally that help foster children find gospel-centered homes and safety and helping families that are broken and single moms that are in need. And so we say, okay, this is what you've done among us, but God, what would happen 
If you said, okay, Mathetes, you're all in? Let's really see. What if he said, I'm gonna, let's push the envelope of generosity even farther so that those of us who are giving generously say, you know what, we're going to take it even a step further. And those who, who haven't yet taken that step say, it's time for me to take a step. And here's what we believe. We believe that if over the course of, of two years, two regular years, there, we might be leveraging $4 million, we believe that in this season God is calling us to push the envelope of our generosity, develop us even further as full throttle followers of Christ. And we believe that he wants us to, as a community, leverage double that, $8 million over the course of two years. Why? Because we will not rest until South Florida is transformed in our generation. If you can transform South Florida, you can impact the world. You say, that sounds like rhetoric. I believe that. And I want to show you one story that demonstrates it. Check this out. I've always believed in God, but definitely had a lot of doubts about Scripture. I was struggling with a lot of uncertainty, and I started like, really getting really stressed out and I remember that I went to the YMCA where my kids do PE and there was Lisa and she's like how are you Ollie how you doing and I'm like just crying you know like and I see like she's like are you okay and I'm like no I'm not and she's like well maybe if you want to you should come to church and her son invited Bianca to the pajama event and I said, well, we should take her, you know, for her own sake. <laughs> so she can be with another kids, you know, and play. So uh, we came and we sat down or with our coffee, you know, like this, like. It was a very direct message, simple to understand, to hear and to be reminded about our salvation in Jesus Christ. I, I never heard that before like that, you know, to give that so much power to the gospel. And I remember my husband leaning to, to me and he said, maybe we should start coming. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sounds good. I'm like, yeah. And since that day, we've never stopped coming for already four years. It definitely saved our marriage, for sure. Watching him right now, like how he's with me, with the kids and with his perspective, he was sharing the gospel with his mom right now for Christmas with his um, uh, nephews. He was telling them all about Jesus and I was like, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We talked to my family about it, you know, like, listen, why don't you start, you know, watching the, the service online? So I would send the link to them, you know, like, check it out. And the first one that started, uh, you know, watching the online service was my dad. And I would tell him, dad, you know, you have to listen to this. Please watch it and let me know what you think. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. So he, he was watching in Guatemala. And he said one day, you know, I always thought that it was my mom who was always with me, you know, during all those years of loneliness and, and hardship. He says, I thought it was my mom, but now I know it was Jesus. And right now it's oh everything is about how can can you know I live for him. Now my dad is watching in Canary Islands because he moved there. God has a purpose for that, for that too, because my brother lives there. My brother, the other day he called me 
I just want to tell you, I know Jesus was real. I'm looking into it. That's it. And I'm like, well, keep going. Keep going. He will show you the way. <laughs> and then I told my other sister, you know, hey, you should watch it. It's so interesting. I bet you've never heard it like this. And she, she was listening in Guatemala too. And my, both of my sisters. And now I have another friend that she uh, was going through a hard time with a divorce. She would go crying, you know, and I'm, I'm like, listen, God has a purpose. You need to trust him, but you, get to, you have to know him. So listen to the online service. Let's talk about it. Read the word of God when you're discouraged and he will speak. And uh, now she listens in Mexico, Mexico City. I believe that with that passion that God ignited in me, in my heart, I, I couldn't hold it in. You have to share it, you know, you, you can't hold it in. Uh, everyone, I know, I tell them my story of how God has changed my life, you know, and my family's life so much. I'm Ali Rios Salinas, and because God has been faithful to us and has reached out to us around the world, I'm all in. I hope you caught that story. One simple invite at a YMCA changed a family, a husband and wife and the two kids. They in turn shared with their family in Guatemala, the Canary Islands, their being impacted, coming to Christ, sharing the message. A friend in Mexico hears the gospel, they're being impacted. That can't happen except by the power of God. And if you transform South Florida, you can impact this region of the globe. And we're not going to stop until we see that happen. Question is, are we willing to share in the cost? And West Pines, if this is your church home, then you know we are not that type of church that just talks about it but doesn't step in and say, no, I'm in. We are that type of church that says, Jesus, if that's what you're calling us to do, then we are all in. And so here is the challenge. 100% of us who call West Pines your church home we're going to take part in seeing the gospel furthered in this community, in our generation. Here's all I'm asking you to do today. Would you make a commitment to make a commitment? Walk out of here today saying, I don't know what it is, but I'm in. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to participate. How could I not? Because Jesus so extravagantly loves me. He's so changed my life. I am that person. I'm the one who's seen my life turned around. He so extravagantly loved me. He so extravagantly loves this community I'm in. And so because of that, I extravagantly love him. And so I'm going to express extravagant love to this city. So I, I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to make a commitment. That's what we ask you to do today. Here's how we're going to end our time together. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. 
or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.